Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Afronomics. I'm your host, Albert Zufa, Chief Economist for the Africa region at the World Bank. COVID-19 pandemic is taking a hold on Africa, and countries are dealing with the health and economic impacts that are becoming clearer as the weeks go by. Like in the rest of the world, most African countries are under lockdowns or some form of strict social distancing measures as they try to limit the effect of the pandemic on lives and livelihoods. For many export-led economies, there has been a sharp decline in export and consequently export revenues. The economic effects of the pandemic are projected to be huge, and we estimate that the Africa region will lose between 37 billion and 79 US dollars billion in terms of output for 2020. The private sector, especially small businesses in Africa, will be hit hard by this pandemic. On April 8, Ethiopia declared a state of emergency to fight the pandemic, which meant that many small and medium-sized enterprises that employed the majority of the workforce and many young people had to close if they were not classified as essential businesses. My guest today, Dr. Arkebe Ukobe, is the Senior Minister and Special Advisor to the Prime Minister of the Federal Republic of Ethiopia, but he's also the Vice Chair of Ethiopian Airlines. He's here to help us understand the impact of this pandemic on the private sector in Africa and share what Ethiopia is doing to protect its people, support its businesses, and save jobs. Dr. Okube, welcome. Thank you, Albert, for having me. You're most welcome, Dr. Okube. A lot of countries are grappling with what works to fight COVID in your context. How are you organizing yourself in Ethiopia to make sure that the government adopts the right social distancing measures, the right confinement measures, and what is it that is standing out from your perspective as being that Ethiopian specificity? COVID-19 pandemic has been new to, I think, all governments and healthcare professionals. And in January, Ethiopia has started to take bold and swift measures because of the aviation hub and because of Ethiopian Airlines. There is a frequency of flights and taking these preventive measures and protective measures was important. In terms of strategic response, the Ethiopian government primarily looked at on how we build on our strengths and specific capability. And Ethiopia has been implementing the prevention-based primary level healthcare system for the last 20 years and 75% of the medical professionals are deployed in these health centers and health posters. So essentially, as a COVID-19 pandemic requires a significant and active public participation, the primary focus has been on it. It also requires a close collaboration with all stakeholders, the private sector, civil society, and other organizations, including development partners. So close collaboration was quite important. And in terms of the economic impact, the prime focus has been to reduce, to decrease the impact of the pandemic. And we're convinced from the very beginning 
the best way of reducing this impact is not to rush to national lockdown, which freezes all economic activities. So the measures have been measured, but that gradually were being scaled up. And we also decided from the very beginning that we don't have the luxury to support all economic activities. We have resource constraints. So we basically decided our support has to be targeted to very selective economic activities. And we also had to look at potential opportunities during this crisis. So the government initiated a special program where PPE production becomes an important task. And this was applied in selected companies who don't have the capacity and primarily in industrial parks. And in order to achieve this also, it was critical that all factories, especially in industrial parks, but also beyond, should not lay off workers and factories should continue to produce and export. So the PPE production was quite relevant and essential in this respect. That's fascinating, Dr. Arkebe, because we know COVID is not just a health crisis. And you've mentioned how Ethiopia has used its developed network of health clinics to fight this, this, this pandemic on the health side. I want us to spend a little bit more time discussing that economic response because it struck me as being quite innovative. First, the use of Ethiopian airlines, then the leveraging of your industrial zones, which I know you've been so uh, instrumental in developing in Ethiopia, but also the collaboration with the private sector and the civil society. Can you tell us a little bit more, first of all, what was the thinking around bringing all this together and give us a little bit more detail as to how you guys implemented it in Ethiopia? If I may start with Ethiopian Airlines, the critical challenge for Ethiopian Airlines was whether it can survive in this very harsh environment, because one of the key sectors that has been affected by this global pandemic is the aviation industry or air industry plus tourism. Most airlines are bankrupt or close to being bankrupt, right? Yeah. But not Ethiopian airlines. Yeah, not Ethiopian airlines. Many airlines have laid off their workers. Many airlines are also benefiting from support from government, including U.S. companies. And for Ethiopian airlines, the reality was the treasury is not going to help to rescue because its resources are very limited. So here the key focus would be to prove its resilience. So the first thing was Ethiopian Airlines was implementing Vision 2035, and it's an expansion and growth strategy. So uh, this had to be changed, and, and we it has to shift to survival strategy. And in survival strategy, the critical issue is ensuring cash flow, ensuring that losses are limited. And also, Ethiopian Airlines relies on tapping capital from international capital market without any government guarantee, also ensuring its creditworthiness was quite critical. So as we all know, the passenger business has gone down as many countries put travel ban. So the first thing Ethiopian Airlines did was to switch to cargo capacity, maximize the productivity of cargo aircrafts, and also converting passenger aircrafts to cargo aircrafts. And actually, it was the first airline globally 
which closely discuss with Airbus and Boeing, because without their permission, he cannot make this conversion, as it has security implication. And it had to modify uh, 20 aircrafts to uh, move to cargo. So 20 aircraft were switched from passenger to cargo? Yeah, it looks quite easy. It looks like removing seats, but it's more than that. It's very complicated. Ethiopian Airlines has technical infrastructure, quite competent. So they started changing. At the beginning, it took them a few days, but gradually they were converting each aircraft in two or three days. So it changed 25 passenger aircrafts to cargo, and it also doubled productivity of cargo planes. The cargo planes had to work uh, 24 hours, and it also was chasing every market, for instance, repatriation and charter of many uh, citizens in, in some countries was one important business. So because of this intervention, so far it has been able to ensure cash flow because when there is no revenue coming, ensuring cash flow is a key point. And in terms of uh, losses also, it has tried to contain in a period of the first quarter from January to March, the losses were only 32 million US dollars. And uh, from January to April, uh, in four months, the fleet uh, capacity utilization was between 60 to 65%. That's really impressive because most of the airlines have actually grounded most of their fleet. It's Ethiopian Airlines is now, I would say, the only airline that can dispatch medical goods to each African country. And Dr. Akebe, that's actually one thing that is quite impressive because uh, it's not just about resilience and uh, survival of a company. It's also the fact that you have made it part of your COVID response and, you know, link it to your economic strategy for COVID. But before we get into that, because I want to hear more, what was the employment impact? I'm assuming by improving financial viability, you were able to save more jobs than, than other companies. In uh, Ethiopian Airlines currently employs 15,000 workers full-time and about 2,000 uh, contract workers. But uh, many businesses, the indirect jobs is close to 50,000, 60,000. So up to now, Ethiopian Airlines is committed not to lay off workers. So it has not laid off its uh, employees up to now. And the main thinking is, once we go through this crisis, there is going to be a phase that requires rapid expansion. Uh, so we don't want the skills to be lost. We want to retain. And uh, all employees, the top management and all technical staff were aware of the situation. They are putting their effort with significant uh, commitment and Ethiopian Airlines, the board and the management have a consensus as much as possible not to lay off uh, workers of Ethiopian Airlines. That's really impressive. Now, linking that to uh, your economic response, how did you manage to protect or save some jobs in the manufacturing sector, in the uh, industrial zones, given the collapse in uh, trade and uh, the collapse in imports? And, and we know most of these firms actually import the intermediate products, right? How did you handle that? 
If you may allow me, Albert, I would just like to add a few words on what we now have discussed is how Ethiopian Alliance proved its resilience. But there is an important element to be emphasized that Ethiopian Alliance has helped the overall economy during this crisis. As you may be aware, many flower growers, horticulture growers in Africa had faced a problem during this lockdown in Europe. And many African airlines also stopped flying, including Kenyan Airways and others. And one important element was Ethiopian Airlines reached out to horticulture sector, meat export sector. And despite the spike in cargo rates globally, which is now two to three times in relation to ordinary times, it kept its commitment, the pre-COVID price, and it ensured that floriculture and meat exporters can continue being exported to Middle East as well as to horticulture goods to Europe. So it really enabled the uh, export sector to uh, survive. The second element was the manufacturing sector also to continue production. It needs a continuous supply of inputs and also it has also to export. So Ethiopian Airlines gave special prices during this crisis time, more than 50% discount to these manufacturing exporters when they bring inbound goods and also when they export. So this uh, intervention helped to support the manufacturing export sector. And I should also highlight the specific contribution in relation to distribution of medical goods associated with COVID to all African countries. Currently, it's only through Ethiopian Airlines that this could be achieved. That's extremely important. So how did that translate into activity and employment in the manufacturing sector, especially in the industrial zone? In January, industrial parks started implementing prevention and protection measures. So discussions were conducted with the Ministry of Health with Ethiopian Public Health Institute, which is like a CDC, and guidelines were put in place and actual execution of this measure started in January. For instance, many investors or uh, professionals working in these companies, if they are coming from abroad, they will have to go into voluntary quarantine. This started by January and it was then scaled up. When the first case of COVID-19 was observed on 13th March, then within two to three days, a new package was prepared and discussion was conducted with the investors. This included the measures to be taken at factory level, at industrial park level, and how the workers would have to interact with the public in the cities they are located. So a COVID response action plan was agreed and became a common uh, document. Second aspect was the Ministry of Labor and other agencies initiated that a tripartite discussion between the Employers' Confederation, Confederation of Labor, and the government. And a tripartite protocol was signed, which included to take utmost measures to reduce layoffs, but also that companies can take measures like decreasing salaries and trying to find mutual solutions. These were the initial steps taken. And then companies faced a major difficulty because the major brands and buyers, 
They instruct them to halt production. They advise them not to export. And some of them advise them that orders which were given earlier were cancelled and the companies uh, were in a very awkward, in a very grave situation. So a discussion has to be conducted with them how this situation could be improved. And based on this, after many consultations and discussions, it was basically agreed it's that it's important not to lay off workers because the major loss would be loss of skills. Once they go to their villages, to their homes, the skills acquired would be lost and it would be difficult to sustain productivity. So this was basically agreed and they also needed support. So the package prepared was first rental fees of factory buildings, uh, dormitories and offices were deferred for three months uh, so that the cash flow problem can be optimized and also utility fees was also deferred for three months. In addition to this, government decided that in order to encourage them to continue exporting, that rail transport will be zero at zero cost or at zero price fee so that they, they don't have to pay any penny when they export their goods. And dry port uh, facility also was reduced the fee to 50% and air transport also was reduced to 50%. This was primarily to assist them in uh, reducing their uh, cost in terms of logistics. And in addition to this also, uh, the PPE production was initiated and at the beginning, uh, it required a lot of preparation because you have to find solutions to material flow because the materials are quite different. It requires additional training. The production facility also has to be repurposed and, and the facility to be rearranged. But gradually, uh, the companies are being involved in this process. And now the agenda has now changing the agenda now is no more about layoffs, but some companies even are requesting they would like to hire additional workers because orders are now coming back, the ordinary orders from buyers, and also the PPE production. So this has changed the conversation. This is really fascinating, Dr. Arkebe. So from a situation where we could have feared a complete collapse of the manufacturing sector because of this sudden stop in imports and export, you've managed through your policy response to do two things. One, to keep incentivizing export. Two, you've managed to actually diversify into new products, for example, PPE, and then third, you've managed to provide more training to the workforce that could be helpful and, and actually determinant for recovery moving forward. And I would add the fourth thing that struck me as you were discussing the experience of Ethiopian Airlines. Instead of rushing in with government support, you let the company rely on its creativity and come up with solutions. And all of those are extremely interesting measures. Now, how do you see this moving forward? We know, Dr. Akebe, the pandemic hit Africa with two to three months delay. So it's not over yet. And in some countries, we're still on the rising side of the curve, right? We're still not at the peak yet. And some health experts are projecting two to three months more before we actually hit the peak. How do you see this playing forward 
Can you sustain these incentive measures? My response will be, yes, it's possible to sustain the gains as well as to decrease the impacts, but it requires extraordinary effort. On the airline business, for instance, Ethiopian Airlines will have to implement very strict measures when passenger travel starts. And it's now putting additional protocols, additional requirements to ensure that once international passenger business starts, that uh, Ethiopian Airlines will be able to grab this opportunity. So, for instance, it's planning that face masks will be compulsory in all flights, temperature measurement will be conducted before checking in, and additional measures. And marketing activity has uh, to be also intensified. On the manufacturing exporter side, there is going to be a need to scale up and coordinate with buyers. And the government is trying to coordinate with leading global buyers as well, that they give orders back to companies who are part of their supply chain. Selling locally, they have been uh, some of the export companies. They have been permitted to sell in local market for two months. But we primarily want to support them so that they can continue to export. So closely working with global brands, ensuring that uh, the workers' skills development is also improved. One of the key requirements we have put is companies, in order to benefit from this package, even if they don't have orders, they must train their workers during these uh, br- uh, brief times. And one element that I see a big opportunity from COVID-19 is... It is really helping us to build the industrial workforce. It's the industrial workforce we are building. Come, Most of the workers come from villages. They don't have long experience. They don't have the industrial culture. Now, with this new COVID, a lot of measures have been introduced in factories. For instance, every factory is disinfected on a daily basis. Canteens have introduced new systems that reduces also infections. And in the production line also, many strict measures have been taken. Uh, so it's helping us to, in a very short period, to improve the skills and also discipline. We want to scale up this process. That's extremely important. I believe you're already building this new normal people are talking about. And the new normal will not just be in streets. The new normal would have to apply in uh, factories as well. And all the social distancing measures and uh, water and sanitation measures would have to be applied probably permanently. So, Dr. Kebe, we've talked a lot about formal firms in uh, industrial zone. And I was quite impressed with the collaboration of the private sector, that formal private sector that came in that tripartite meeting. How about the informal sector, which is probably the uh, largest share of employment in Ethiopia as it is in the rest of Africa? How did you address the uh, requirement of the informal sector? First, I should uh, underline that I don't personally believe that the measures we have taken to support the informal sector is sufficient. This is because of two reasons. The first thing is, as you indicated, the informal sector is a significant portion of the workforce. I mean, it's a major creator of employment. So it means that support required is going to be significant. And in view of the constraints 
of resources by the government because the budget has to be reallocated to be used for uh, prevention and protection measures uh, related with the COVID-19 pandemic. The second aspect is decisions are going to be very, very difficult, especially in reaching out the beneficiaries. So the key challenge will be, even if you had resources, how do you ensure that the informal sector who are not fully registered who have some level of fluidity can can be supported. So here, the interventions uh, that the government decided include, first, to ensure that uh, microcredit could be given to the small firms and micro firms. So the additional fund has been allocated to microfinance institutions and also additional resource has been allocated to Development Bank of Ethiopia. So they can come and they can get credit. The second aspect has been that facilities like building facility or residential homes that will be used by a big part of the informal sector in order to encourage, uh, I mean, to reduce the impact on the informal sector. The government also included a provision that homeowners or property owners who rent to individual uh, tenants that if they waive the rent, the government will also waive for them the taxation they had to pay in that specific year. So which makes it like, you know, two months up to three months, many of the tenants uh, would be benefiting not to pay rent for their homes, for residents, as well as for work premises. So this is easier to implement. In addition to this, the key point was by ensuring that the national lockdown was not implemented, it also reduced the impact on the informal sector. But the government is further uh, looking on these issues, on how additional measures could be taken. And the additional measures will have also to be linked with the nature of the search and also the time frame. So I believe that additional measures will be necessary as we look at the trend. I'm sure, I'm sure. And what you are saying is actually very important because uh, most of the uh, policy packages have tended to uh, really uh, be skewed toward large formal firms or urban settings, while most of the poverty in Africa is actually still in rural areas and why we know because of some confinement measures, agricultural output may suffer. And you know, uh, we're already going through a phase where locusts has been devastating crops in Ethiopia, and this could certainly compound with the, the confinement measures to impact output of agriculture in Ethiopia. Is there anything that Ethiopia is doing to really address the impact of COVID on rural areas, especially on agricultural output? Yeah, you are absolutely right that, as we all know, poverty is much deeper in rural areas and also uh, agriculture is the mainstay for employment. So the most important measure that the government has done is first ensuring that uh, agricultural inputs are transported with priority to all waradas or districts and villages because this is very, very important. In Ethiopia, the farming activity primarily starts in May, then extends to June and July. 
So ensuring that the preparation for uh, agriculture this year's harvest is not disrupted is one of the key issues. So the government didn't just entirely focus on COVID crisis and forgetting about the key preparation for agriculture. It maintained, and the Ministry of Agriculture and other related agencies, regional governments were instructed to ensure that they also focus on the agriculture, on preparation for agriculture. So this has been the first step, and our Prime Minister has been focused also that discussing with the regional administration heads, with regional leadership and at federal level, to assess and review the process so that preparation are effectively done. So this is only and most important measure we can take at this time, at least to ensure that next year's harvest reduction will not be significant. And luckily enough, up to now, the spread has not been significant in the rural areas, and this has helped all economic activities in the uh, rural uh, Ethiopia to continue. And I think this is a major area we need to focus because supporting to all farmers or all dependents in the rural area will be practically impossible. I completely agree with you, Dr. Arkebe. And uh, you are sharing elements of this strategy and this policy response in Ethiopia that may help buffering the devastating impact of COVID-19. But you and I know before COVID-19 hit, Ethiopia was one of the fastest growing economies, not only in Africa, but in the world, and has actually maintained a very, very high pace of economic growth over the past 10 years. My question to you, Dr. Arkebe, is how worried are you or do you see any silver lining from this crisis? Yeah, I'm, I'm worried. As you indicated, Ethiopia had recorded the fastest economic growth in our continent between 2004 and 2018. For almost 15 years, uh, GDP has been growing by 10.5%, uh, even based on World Bank data. Uh, so it's a critical challenge for us to ensure this rapid economic growth. It's going to require extraordinary effort. That is the only thing I would say, because a lot will depend. Up to now, we only had three months of this uh, COVID pandemic crisis. And a lot will depend to the extent how long the surge will continue, how long the surge can level uh, can reach. All these are important uh, criteria we need to observe. So it's difficult from now to predict, but from some estimate, I have to highlight these are, again, estimate. In 2020, according to estimates, uh, there may be a reduction of 3% from GDP growth rate, uh, 3 to 3.2%. But I think we need to closely track and follow. It doesn't also depend only on the measures we take here and the slowdown of economic activities locally. It also depends on what will be happening globally. And on the optimistic side, what I would like to see is many governments have put recovery plans and economic stimulus in place. Uh, so many African countries will not have that luxury, but uh, this uh, recovery and economic stimulus packages will indirectly also help Africa if it's implemented in short time. According to the rough estimate, I mean, 6.5 trillion uh, has been decided 
as part of the economic stimulus and recovery by many governments globally. If this is translated into implementation quite fast, then this recovery will have a spillover effect also on Ethiopia and other African countries. And my hope is that recovery might be faster. That's what I would hope. However, we have always to hope for the best, but prepared for the worst. Uh, so we need yeah, prepare for the worst. And we need to, to be ready with a new arsenal. And I don't have the recipe or prescription, and our government has not yet put all the responses because the response has to match with the actual evidence and the evolution. But uh, we have to get prepared, and every African country has to be ready for the worst scenario. Absolutely. So uh, it's not over yet. COVID is still affecting our countries, and the peak in some countries may actually be two to three months down the road. We must remain vigilant. We must prepare for the worst while hoping for the best. That was great, Dr. Kebe. And as we approach this at the World Bank, we really focus on these very important elements of protecting lives, of making sure we protect also livelihoods by supporting uh, households, but also supporting firms, large and small, and the informal sector, as you have mentioned, but also in the process, build elements of resilience and ensure that we protect the future as we move forward to avoid having a lost decade in African development as we have had in the past. So this is extremely useful. And thank you so much, Dr. Arkebe, for being here and for sharing your views and for the work you are doing to help Ethiopia not only fight COVID, but diversify its economy and eradicate poverty in the foreseeable future. Thank you so much, Dr. Arkebe. Thank you, Albert. If I may say my final word, first, I have to express that I'm very, very proud that many African countries African governments have been able to take swift and bold measures. I think this has surprised everyone. I would also like to emphasize what COVID has shown us is the vulnerability of uh, our economic system, the vulnerability of our public health systems, and many more issues. And uh, my hope is our continent should emerge stronger after the crisis, and we must be able to learn uh, new uh, lessons from this crisis. For instance, how do we respond to future virus pandemics, infectious diseases? What type of healthcare system do we have to build? In addition to this, uh, we have seen countries who have not been able to diversify, have been significantly affected, including the oil-rich countries. And this tells us again, the importance of uh, uh, you know, structural transformation, economic transformation. So I hope all governments in uh, respective African countries will uh, focus on this. I should also mention that CDC Africa, which was established based on the experience of Ebola uh, virus pandemic, is doing an excellent job. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Arkebe. I cannot agree more with you. And for our listeners, you may remember we had Dr. John Kengasong of Africa CDC as one of our guests on Afronomics, and really they're doing a fantastic job. On structural change, I completely agree with you. And we're coming up with a study on uh, 
industrializing for jobs in Africa very, very soon, Dr. Akebe, and I'm sure you'll be pleased to read that. A reminder to our listeners, you can find all of our recent publications at worldbank.org slash AFRCE. And you can also find our recent episodes of Afronomics on our new website at worldbank.org slash Afronomics. For more, you can follow me on Twitter at Albert Zufa to share your views, questions, and ideas. Until next time, thanks for listening and stay well.